This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi there, it is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. I'm in the New York Post Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. I'm on WABC, 770 on the AM dial, every Sunday, 1 to 2 p.m. So you have no reason for not listening to me or reading me or cursing me or whatever. Do something. I want to share a story. I'm just in the mood to tell you something. This it, It's just struck me funny. I was in a restaurant, and a long-haired creature arrived at the restaurant. And one diner said, you know, it's just terrible how boys almost try to resemble girls now. And the second diner said, that's no girl. That's my son. And the first diner said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I didn't know you were his mother. And the first diner said, I'm not. I'm the father. I just thought I'd share this one with you. Maybe I'll share another one, another little thing. The story about Huma, who used to be and still is Hillary's number one person, and that she's now found romance with the actor Bradley Cooper, and that she's no longer bothering with her ex, Anthony Weiner. Let me tell you, she is still connected to Anthony Weiner. Because I called her recently, I told her something, and then I bumped into Anthony Weiner, who repeated to me, word for word, what I had told Huma a few days earlier on the phone. So she's playing one against the other. It's sort of a sandwich. Now I want to share a conundrum. I'm filled with lots of little things I feel like getting rid of. Um... Manhattan has fleets of elongated, double-connected, block-long, stretched buses. They jam the streets. There may be three human beings on each. Each of these buses are lengthened and extended and never separated, and no vehicles can pass or get in front of them, and traffic stays clogged back to Atlantic City. I understand Manhattan has to transport riders in rush hour, but 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m., can't these giant things just work rush hours or get double-deckers or, or bring back oxen so others of us can manage to navigate our roads? I am now finished with all these things. Now I want to go into Elton John's farewell. His shout-out to New York City brings up a crate load of memories. Did you know he has 4,000 pair of sunglasses? For his fundraiser once, Sarah Ferguson, who was a duchess for an hour and a half, Sarah Ferguson posed nude for him to celebrate his book Four Inches. Now, what the four inches was, this I don't know. Not sure I care either. I'm just telling you. Do you know that he spent $20,000 on one diamond dog collar? And that Liz Hurley's thanks to him for whatever was buying his $1,500 worth of cherry trees. What he did with them, this I also don't know. His middle name, Hercules. House-guested, he did, at Karl Lagerfeld's Berlin Pad. June 2000, I reported he broke his weekly 
million dollar spending budget. I reported that in the column. He sent Mary J. Blige once in thanks for something, a grand piano. And this is so nice. To protect her grass, Queen Elizabeth banned his limo from Buckingham Palace grounds. He got driven instead in a golf cart. There's a jeweler named Lori Rodkin. She designed for him a $1,200 diamond ring. It's spelled F-U and spelled out the whole world word. In 92, Donald Trump attended his concert with Miss Universe. At the same time, a Madison Square Garden guard sued Elton John for $100 million for something. I forgot what. It didn't go anywhere. June 2012, someone actually thought he was Phil Collins. And he has said, quote, Organized religion does not work. And at a benefit, he bid for a walk-on in a Superman sequel, but he lost to a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, a knight who bid $80,000. Who knew knights were so rich? It was Elton's usual boring life. Well, I think... I would like a weekend of goodbyes to friends. Paul Sorvino once coached Marla Maples for a TV pilot. He was once selling supermarket sausages to make a living, and he tried to sell them to Boston's Abe and Louis Steakhouse. Le Cirque, which was a high-class restaurant back a ways, asked him since he sang opera, asked Paul Sorvino to sing opera when they got Woody Allen to play the sax. In 96, he hugged Quentin Tarantino when his daughter Mira got best supporting from Mighty Aphrodite. He entertained at homeless shelters, and he sang Italian songs at Patsy's. His daughter Mira, Mira, who dearly loved him, said, we were once so poor, I slept in a drawer. Well, then I go on the other side of life, and I was speaking with Rue Paul, who is definitely not a drag to talk with. He said to me, Oh, honey, my husband is so effing rich that I have no worries. I come from an effing hillbilly father. Fans show up, and I just effing put it all on. RuPaul said to me, I started in the late 80s in clubs when we all partied. I wasn't hot then. I took off around 92. Now my biggest competition is me, myself. And with all the Emmys I've gotten, I have to try to stay interested and not be bored anymore. I think maybe I just caught my second wind. For a while, I took four years off, and I just plain partied. You know, I'm looking forever for more girls. I need more girls on the show, because the impetus is on color and fun. I've seen like 200 of them, but go find one 
effing girl who works as hard as I do. I need to find someone I can actually stand to be around. They're so boring. You can tear away all that makeup, that wig stuff, and everything else, but you've got to be reborn. You got to let yourself go. You got to turn winter into summer. Your frequency has to shine. And he said to me, "Some of those fat asses I've seen—they're like wood. They don't move. And listen, real celebrities are no different than my on-stage queens. They're all fake." So speaking to RuPaul, he said to me, "Nobody talks about luck. Talent is help, but what makes anyone laugh is a great work ethic." Listen, I just open the door, then open a box of clothes, and that's it. Bada bing! You got to know though that jealousy is everybody. I'm writing my autobiography. No bull. The real deal. I'll tell all. I got nothing to hide. It's a personal, emotional story. I finally want to tell me, the true me. I want to tell people that, despite all the makeup and the fun and the glamour, life can be a pain. You cannot sidestep the pain. Of life, Miss Rue has more seasons coming up of his drag race. Plus, he has a Paramount Plus thing. Plus, she's planning a movie and a game show and a New Zealand tour. And you know, she he said to me, "I still have every one of my schmatas. I don't want them on eBay. I will tour them. I will effing." Put them in a museum. Okay, I have been rattling on, but be it known that every future child born in the United States will be endowed with life, liberty, and a share of Biden's debt. And now I'm going to go to a quick station break, and then I'll be right back. This is the Cindy Adams Show, seventy-seven WABC. Okay, so I am talking to my friend Gabriel Byrne, who's doing a one-man show, walking with ghosts. But tell me, what is this about? I know, I know, you did a memoir, but what is this? Tell me about it. Well, it's not so much a show as a one-man play, and it's really uh, not so much about me as about all of us. About all the ghosts that we that we carry around with us, whether it's uh, loved ones that have passed or experiences that we've had, even landscapes, it's about the past and the present, and how quickly the present becomes the past. But it's also based on comedy and um, short vignettes that I think appeal uh, to anybody who is. Um, sensitive to um to life and the big questions in life but it's not it's not what i would call an esoteric um play it's a very accessible um uh, examination of of life as it appeals to every single person does this mean it has to have been written by an irishman 
No, I think um, I think although uh, a lot of the material is said in in Ireland, I, I've made it universal because um, I think the things that we all go through in life, loss, uh, joy, uh, family, uh, ambition, and so forth, success, failure. These are things that apply to people uh, all over the world. Okay. First of all, I don't need know when is the opening and where is it opening. So tell me that. Yes, it opens at the Music Box Theatre on Broadway, which is on 45th Street on the 27th of October. And it runs until December 31st uh, of this okay. year. Okay. I also would like to know about your early days, how we started, your early days in Ireland. Tell me about where were you born and how did you go to school and tell me about that. Well, I was born in in Dublin, uh, obviously the capital city of, of Ireland. But I was I was raised to a great extent in the in the countryside, so that has always given me a love for the countryside and nature, and it's something that I've always sought out. Um, <clears throat> I went to basically religious schools in in Ireland, and uh, then when I was when I was uh, 19, I left to live in Spain. And then later on, I moved to London and then to New York and then to L.A. and back to London again. So it's been a kind of a, a peripatetic life, if you like. Um, but essentially, um, a different a different world, a different culture in all kinds of ways. Uh, an Ireland that probably has now vanished, replaced by very much a... Um, a modern technological society for the most part. So what schlepped you here? What made you come here? I mean, I know everybody wants to come here, at least I think so. But what made you come here? Well, I came I came because I did a film with the Coen brothers called Miller's Crossing. And that kind of set me up in America as a, as a film actor. And um, I, I didn't want to go back to London because it was difficult as an Irish actor there, um, to get work because the only roles that you could get were priests and terrorists and so forth. So um, when I went <laughs> to work with the Cohen brothers, it was um, it was a very uh, liberating thing for me. And then subsequently working on Broadway for the first time and then going to Hollywood to do films. Um, it wasn't something that I planned, Cindy. It was just something that happened. And I never had any kind of a life plan in place. And I was never very much uh, good at networking. So I tended very much to stay under the radar. But uh, New York uh, especially was very liberating for me as a, as, as a person and as an actor. Well, New York is a thrilling place, despite the fact that we're having nothing but problems. Tell me, on stage, did you ever F up on stage, blow your lyrics or screw up something because I used to be on stage I was lousy I which that. is why I'm not on it anymore but did you ever <laughs> F up anything on stage oh yeah 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 many times <laughs> the audience gives you about 15 to 20 maybe maybe 30 seconds before they realize <laughs> something is wrong um, if they happen to know the script really well, let's say you're doing Hamlet and you, you're saying to be or and you forget the next line they know what the next line is. So you can't improvise in Shakespeare where you can say, to be or, well, it's not, uh, not to be or not to be. <laughs> they know. Um, 
once I was leaving a, um, a set and I was supposed to stomp out and say, you'll never see me again, I'm leaving now. And I took the door handle and it fell off in my hand and bounced <laughs> into the audience. And I I couldn't get the door open. And she, she the actress was saying, well, if you're going to go, go. And I was saying, I'm leaving right now. And I finally pulled the door open and the stage hand fell out onto the stage. He was trying to open it from the other side. So, um, with many, many things like that. I was doing a, a scene once where I had a monocle and the monocle fell into the drink that I was drinking and the, the entire audience knew that the monocle was in the drink. So all they were concerned about was, is he going to drink the drink or get the monocle out? And that became, that became two minutes of tension for the audience and for me. See, the thing about live performance, as you know, is that anything can happen. And that's the thrill of it, not just for the actor, but for the audience as well. And, you, you know, it's an interesting, the last time I was on Broadway, phones were going off all over the place and hearing aids. You'd be in the middle of a speech and you'd hear, <laughs> and you'd hear some guy saying, what's he saying? Um, so those things, are, those things are much less now because I think people are more aware of fact that they have phones and they're more liable to go off in the second act when people go outside <laughs> to have a drink or a smoke and call the babysitter and say is the child still alive you know those kind of conversations how do you cover when you screw up or something screws up if sometimes the audience can laugh but if it's a dramatic period not dumb and nelson demille is not dumb and his he's always on the bestseller list and i have your new book, I Am Leaving the Country, this week for a few days of rest. And what I am taking with me is your new book. And thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on with me. Thanks, Cindy. Great talking to you again. Okay, honey. Bye. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm coming now to the end of the broadcast, but I was just thinking of something. Everybody is saying they want to take a cruise Everybody is advertising to go on the high seas. I suddenly remembered a, a, a ship tour I made with Barbara Walters. She was about to speak on a ship. It was taking off from Rome. We had to fly to Rome. And I got on the airplane with Barbara. And a doctor, because I haven't been sleeping on planes very well, gave me some Ambien. I'd never taken Ambien. He said it was only 5 milligrams. Well, it ended up being 10 milligrams. I didn't know that. I fell asleep, woke up in some sort of a funk, didn't realize I had taken it, and took another one. So now I had 2 grams in me of 10 each. I fell asleep and fell down and fell out. I was on the plane, and when breakfast time came, I'm sitting next to Barbara Walters, who was very prim and very elegant and very refined and very used to taking photographs. And my head was over into the breakfast omelette. They couldn't wake me up. They had to strap me into a chair, in a wheelchair they got, to get me off the plane. They take me up the ramp, and here she is, all the captain, the everybody is in white, saluting Barbara Walters and... Here she is, her plus one, me, 
fainting, fainting in a wheelchair as I, as I went up. Two days later, I survived. And what happened was we all had dinner in this captain's place. And we had a private table. And we sat the two of us with our backs to the room. And another table was next to us, ten people. And they were speaking loudly about knocking Barbara Walters. They didn't know we were at the next table. And she finally turned around after dinner and said, Hi, I'm Barbara Walters, and this is my plus one, Cindy Adams. Anyway, I just felt like telling you that. I am now going to sign off, and I'm going to say thank you for listening, and please tune me in again next Sunday, WABC, from 1 to 2, and I'll be better next week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.